Hi everyone, it's week 23 of the podcast. Still not had that break, have we? We squeezed a belated one out last week with the tour review. Um, and yeah, so this week we go again. Uh, and we keep going now for another couple of weeks uh, until we are going to have a little rest. Um, but yeah, it's been an interesting and uh, not uncontroversial week in the world of cycling. But we'll do it chronologically. Um We'll talk about the uh, San Sebastian Classic first, and a really good win for Bout Mollemer of uh, Trek. He uh, seemed to be joining that uh, Dutch core of riders who seem fantastically good at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. We'd seen uh, Tom de Moulin in the Vuelta last year, Steven Krausvik in the Giro this year, and to some extent even Mollemer in the Tour de France this year. If the uh, Mont Ventoux result had stuck and not been reversed as a result of uh, Chris Froome pegging it, then you never know. You might have uh, seen him in a position where uh, he, he grew into to, you know into the role of, of podium finisher, got a bit more security in that, and he might have been difficult, more difficult to dislodge. His bad day might not have happened. It's kind of it's hypothetical, isn't it, of course, but um, it, it might have happened that way. Um, but he won San Sebastian with an attack on the, a descent after being criticised by his, uh, his DS for not being very good uh, on the descents. Um, so that's a pretty good tactical masterstroke by the management of Trek. And uh, it was a really good ride, um, considering the kind of calibre of riders he rode away from in the breakaway and the fact that he went literally on the top of the last climb, the new climb introduced into the route. Um, and uh, despite Orica being fairly organised and a number of other teams, he um, he was able, with some degree of uh, of, of simplicity and uh, uncertainty, to uh, to ride away um, and win, which was fantastic. And so, massive congratulations to him. Controversially, in my opinion, that was the biggest race on over the weekend. Um, I don't know. I don't kind of get the whole. Ride London thing. Uh, I've tried desperately to uh, to get it and understand it, but it's and it was a pretty exciting, entertaining race. But but for me, there would be bigger and better opportunities to have a better, more classic style bike race away from the Mall and Central London. I understand all the Olympic legacy stuff, but you know the roads clearly aren't big enough. And if the pro race has to be stopped to allow time for the sportif to uh, to clear the course. Um, th- then, then you certainly are in a, in a, you know, in a, in a difficult position. And of course, some of the things that happened in the sportif were very, very tragic, and uh, and and you know, you have to take that on board, and you know, doff your cap to to the people who who have ridden the sportif with uh, such charitable and uh, and good intentions. The problem is that in any sportif, there are people that ride it as such a leisure ride to enjoy themselves and to the challenges to finish but there are obviously more ambitious riders who know that they're going to finish and use it as a challenge to try and beat a a time and I don't know I think the whole thing is kind of trying to replicate the London Marathon in a in in a similar sort of style but I'm fairly certain that the conditions of entry of the London Marathon are a lot stricter in terms of medical uh, ability and uh, medical tests and things like that. And I just wonder now whether the time has come for certain sportives of that sort of greater than 5,000 participants, maybe, I don't know, it's an arbitrary number, but where 
there is some sort of licensing system where riders do have to have registered and been medically checked and have a certificate from the doctor and all that kind of stuff which is really inconvenient as a rider to do and I love doing sport teams but there has to be you know there has to be a level a standard that that means it's safe not only for the participant themselves but for all of the other participants around them and um you know, I've read a lot on the internet about what caused the crashes in the Ride London Sportif and things like people dropping bottles and all of that kind of stuff were up there along with groups of more experienced cyclists riding in a really fast uh, chain gang uh, and kind of people getting in the way and them colliding or them cutting them up. So the whole thing seems to have been, you know, a little bit disappointing in a way. Um, and obviously gives fuel to the people who don't want cyclists on the road, the Katie Hopkinses of this world, for example. That doesn't even come on to the pro race, which I don't know, I still don't get. Although I didn't really get the Tour of Yorkshire last year, but this year I absolutely loved it and watched as many minutes of it as I could and uh, I'm planning on going out there on the course to watch it next year. So, you know, maybe I just need to give Ride London another try, but uh, I'm kind of old-fashioned in many ways, set in my ways, and, you know, I kind of prefer... <laughs> prefer going old school and, and, and races with, with the history but I suppose they all have to start and have uh, be generated and have their first few years uh, in existence I just don't see Ride London ever getting to sort of 50, 80, 100 years like some of the more established bike races but that's just my opinion that's why we do the show um, feel free to disagree um, the other big kind of story that's come out of the week um, and we're not even in the Olympics yet and into the, uh, the, the opportunities to talk about the Olympics as yet has been the uh, allowance of participation of Elizabeth Armistead, the world's ladies road race champion, the women's Tour of Flanders and Strada Bianchi champion. Um, despite her having missed three out of competition dope tests in a year. And ultimately, this is fairly similar to what brought Michael Rasmussen down, who many of you will remember uh, as being called the chicken for some reason. But also, he was... Uh, removed from the Tour de France by his team whilst wearing the yellow jersey allowing Contador to win another reliable one um, based on the fact that you know his whereabouts and, and all of the things that had come with that and out of competition tests Lizzie's basic crime seems to have been that she's missed three out of competition dopes tests um, obviously there is the whereabouts system for UK anti-doping where people tell have to say in advance where they are very frustrating as an athlete I'm sure I don't know where I'm going to be in the next 20 minutes let alone two, three months down the line. Um, the thing that's really confusing about this whole thing and makes me slightly worried is the fact that it's not like she had two missed tests uh, and then the third one was this administrative error where apparently they didn't try and phone her as many times as they should or, or whatever to try and establish reasonable, reasonable attempts to contact. But that was actually the first one. So she's then gone and had this first one where there was this administrative error. Nothing was, uh, was ever mentioned, released or whatever. You'd think you'd be super, super careful about your whereabouts not to miss the next two. And, and obviously she has gone and missed the next two. So whilst I'm certainly not casting any aspersions on her guilt, I certainly wouldn't be casting any aspersions on her innocence either. I think there's a lot more to come out about this story. Uh, and I don't know. I, I don't know whether it sits entirely comfortable with me that she's back racing. Um, and it's another blow when we have as a nation been championing this clean cycling and all of the things that go with that um, to see Simon Yates fall foul of the therapeutic usage exemption forms and now Lizzie Armistead 
really to get off on a technicality because you know if it had been someone else we'd be crying for them to be banned um, because the rules are the rules you can't miss three dope tests in a year um, I don't know it's, it's another blow and I think that with a British uh, person being the head of the UCI the world governing body that opens uh, us up to more uh, allegations doesn't it of, uh, of maybe some nepotism but it's, uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Obviously, a lot of the other female riders in the peloton have come out quite hard on, on Lizzie because she's been hard on other people who've been caught doping and been very vocal about anti-doping processes and procedures. And with that kind of bearing that in mind, you, you have to be whiter than white when you're making those kind of allegations and accusations. When David ride for his use of, of dope, but when he came back, he, you know, he was pretty vocal in his anti-doping stance, but there was never any whiffs of scandals or anything like this uh, en enveloping him in this time. In his time when he came back, so disappointing, disappointing. And all of this has got us to the end of the show with barely a whimmer of uh, of, of cor correspondence on the Olympics, the Olympic road races coming up, of course. So we will obviously have more on those, and obviously Cancellara and Froome and the time trial and which is a little bit more open without Tom de Moulin. Uh, so all very uh, exciting. So it's a big few weeks of cycling coming up, so keep it tuned with us. Thanks again to VeloRooms.com for their support and distribution of the podcast. Uh, visit them at www.VeloRooms.com. Uh, sign up and have your say. Even have your say maybe on, uh, on Lizzie Armistead if you, uh, if you feel that way, or on, uh, on Dutch riders such as Mollimer and uh, de Moulin and Krausvik. All the stuff we talked about today. So, we will be back next week for a chat about the Olympics finally. And until then, have a good week and safe riding. Bye-bye.